You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Isaiah. For those of you who weren't here last week, we took a look at Isaiah chapter 6. And in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has a vision of the Lord. And it's in the year the king Uzziah dies, the ruler of Judah at the time, and the people are at a loss to a certain extent. Uzziah had betrayed his position as king and decided that he would also be king and priest. Why not do it all? And God, for that, struck him with leprosy. And so his son Jotham had to take over. And after his son Jotham, there was Ahaz as well. And the wonderful thing to see, which I went through with my Sunday school class a little bit this morning, is this is all 700 years before Christ comes. And if you look in Matthew, you can see right there Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, all in the line of Christ leading up through his birth. Um, So it's fun to see in the Old Testament all these names. And you think to yourself, is that necessary to memorize, to know, whatever. But the more you know in the Old Testament, the more the New Testament just comes to life. Those genealogies that are like, oh, another name, another name, becomes like, oh, I remember him. In Isaiah, these kings, these were in the line of Jesus. These are all the things that had to happen for Jesus to be born. When we look through... um, the Old Testament. When we look through Scripture, I think sometimes we remove it from our lives today. Um, should your life be written about right now, uh, it would be just as much a part of God's plan as these kings are a part of God's plan. And Jesus is a part of God's plan. And Joseph is a part of God's plan. And Mary is a part of God's plan. And the blind men are a part of God's plan. And the lepers are a part of God's plan. You also are a part of God's plan. You don't get to see the background. We get so much more information in the Word of God about these people, what He's doing. Um, But you are a part of God's plan. And if you're a Christian, then He's causing all these things that are happening to you to work together for your good and for His glory. Whether they feel great or not, it's for your good and for His glory. So the thing that's enjoyable as I walk through Isaiah is to be able to see 700 years before the birth of Christ. These things are being talked about. These things are being worked out. Andrew was complaining uh, today that time moves very strangely when you're expecting something to happen. If you're expecting something fun to happen, it takes forever to get there. And when that fun thing gets there, it's gone like that. And the more fun the thing is going to be in the future, the longer it takes to get there. And so now imagine these people are waiting for a good king, a king that will lead them, a king that is true to his word, one faithful king. And all they keep getting is faithless king after faithless king. Maybe this king's pretty good and then another home wrecker. Like it just keeps up and down and up and down. Who is this king Who's supposed to be coming? How long, O oh Lord, must I wait? Isaiah, when he was given the mission to speak to these people, uh, as he heard what he had to say last week, uh, that their city would be destroyed, and that when their city was destroyed and burned, it would be burned again, even more. He said, how long, O oh Lord, do I need to say this? It's kind of overwhelming. And so at the end of chapter 6 in Isaiah, it's given just a slice of hope at the end. It says this, Though a tenth remain in the land, in verse 13 of Isaiah 6, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and the oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so 
the holy seed will be the stump in the land. So even though God's going to destroy all these people, all his people, there will be a seed that's left in the land. He speaks of a seed, a remnant of God's people who will survive. And they've been surviving since the day of Adam and Eve. Right? God could have wiped them out there, cast them out of the garden. That could have been it. But it wasn't. He said that the woman's seed would crush the serpent's head. You see that in Genesis 3.15. And so it's going to be in the future. So there's always been a seed. There's always been a remnant of people left behind that God has left uh, bringing hope and peace to the people. So here we are. To get back up to speed, King Uzziah has died. He has a son, Jotham. Jotham has a son, Ahaz. And Ahaz is now the king over Judah. Israel's to the north. Syria's to the north. And they've both joined forces to survive. And so here is Ahaz in Judah. And he's nervous because the Assyrians are strong. Not only are the Assyrians strong, but Israel wants to come and attack Ahaz as well. And so does Syria, and so he's wondering, what in the world should I do? God tells him he won't be utterly destroyed and insists, in fact, that Ahaz asked God for a sign. Okay, so Ahaz is scared for his life. He doesn't know what to do exactly. And so God says, go ahead, ask me anything. Ask me anything in the highest heaven. Ask me anything in the depths of Sheol to be a sign to you, to prove to you that I'm for you. Just follow me. Like, what sign will it take? And Ahaz says, whoa, I'm not going to test God. Um, So he refuses to say anything. Ahaz refused to put the Lord to the test in that way. And so the Lord says through Isaiah this. And this is a verse you all should know. Chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. You'll see later in Matthew, right? Emmanuel means God with us. And if you know your Hebrew in here as well, it means that right here as well. God with us. All throughout scripture, God is providing Again and again, from beginning to end, and here is no difference, providing for his people. What Israel needs, what Judah needs, is not to team up with the Assyrians to live. They need to follow God. They need to trust God. They need to fear God. They don't need to build another altar to a different God. They need God to be with them. Emmanuel, God with us. So God promises to send them a sign, and this sign they are to watch for, and this is a son born of a virgin, who is in fact God with them. Isaiah chapter 8 reveals all the ways God's people fear those who surround them, but do not fear God. So we're going to look at that. In Isaiah chapter 8, starting in verse 12, this is what he says about the people. Do not call conspiracy everything that these people are calling conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. Like we talked about in chapter 6. Holy, holy, holy. He is the one you're to fear. I love Isaiah's preaching this because now he knows for sure. It's God you're to fear. It's God who is holy. He's the one you should dread. And he will then be a sanctuary. 
But both, for both our houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and be captured. Pause right there. If you know your Bible and you know your New Testament, who is the rock of stumbling? Who is the rock of offense? Jesus is. Oftentimes we look at Isaiah 7, 14, we say, ah, there's Jesus. We look at Isaiah 9 and in the end, verses 6 and 7, and we say, ah, there's Jesus. But right here is Jesus as well. Jesus is the rock of stumbling. Jesus is the rock of offense. Many of them will stumble. Many will fall. Many will be broken. They will be snared and captured. Bind up the testimony and seal up the law among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will put my trust in him, Isaiah is saying. Isaiah says, here I am. And the children the Lord has given me. We are signs. We are symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells in the mountain. If you look at... um, Isaiah's children's names, they kind of mean like signs and wonders. So Isaiah's saying, I'm a sign that God is with you. My children are signs that God is with you. You're missing all the signs. Don't fear them out there. Fear God. Fear the Holy One of Israel. Trust in Him, not them. Um, We are the same way. When we are afraid, we go to things other than God to find our peace. When we are depressed, where do we find our comfort, right? The next click on Amazon for a second is going to give us that hope and joy, even though it puts us in debt, right? The next drink from the bottle, that's going to give us what we need. The next drug, that's going to give us what we need. A little more gossip, that's what's going to give us what we need. A little more money, that'll give us what we need. I don't need to trust God. I need to trust in these things, trust in myself. Overall, that I am a good counselor. I know what's right. Um, But God says, no. Isaiah says, no. Trust God Almighty. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? I like this right here. When I was a kid, I remember vaguely, and maybe this is still true, but no one has cable anymore, at least not my generation. We just have shows. There's Netflix, there's Amazon, there's whatever. But back in the day, they were always like, call this number and talk to our psychic. Does that still happen on cable anywhere? Does anybody know? I don't know. But I vividly remember, and it was fairly repetitious in the cycle of of, um, commercials. Um... What a strange thing, right? So we think, oh, in the Bible times, then they like, then they talk to necromancers, and then they talk to mediums, and then they talk to the dead. But no, like when I was a kid, and to this day, they're still putting the signs in the newspapers. Are you a Scorpio or whatever, Leo, or I don't even know all the signs. There's a couple of them. People are still, every day, wake up, what's my sign? Who am I? What am I doing? Okay, there it is, Right? Just absolute ridiculousness. And this is what he says here too. Uh, Men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists. And what do they do? They whisper and they mutter. He's saying they they give you these vague things like, "Ah, I see in your future here, you're going to meet someone. And you're like, oh, I'm going to meet someone. Yes, and things will happen. Oh, here's 50 more dollars. Tell me some of those things. Uh, you will eat near them. 
Okay, for 20 more dollars, I'll tell you what you'll have. You will have carbohydrates. <laughs> Guaranteed. Right? He says, you, they're whispering, they're muttering, they're just saying vague things. They're telling you what you want to hear. But the word of the Lord, the law and the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. They have no truth in them. Leave them. The word of the Lord is clear. The Torah, what we have, the laws that you've been given, what Isaiah is speaking to you, that is clear, that is bold, that is profound, that is true. Leave your idols, follow God. Stop being afraid and obey God. Follow God, trust God, hope in God. If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed, hungry, they'll roam through the land. When they're famished, they'll become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. So he's saying these people, they're following after the mediums and the necromancers and the fortune tellers, and, and they're trying to tell them good things and good things and good things, but none of those things are happening, and now they're getting angry. Now we have no food. Now we have no drink. Now we have no hope. And so now they curse their God. Well, God said, come to me, and you went the other way. And they're enraged at God. They curse the heavens. They curse their God. They'll look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. They'll be thrust into utter darkness. So this is where they're left here. They've turned from God. There is no hope now. They're hopeless. They're in darkness. People all over the world are like that today as well. Or maybe some of you are like that today as well, overwhelmed by your situation, by your problem, by decisions you have to make. No amount of searching the internet is going to get you what you need, right? The right boy is not going to make it happen, the right girl, right? Enough money in your 401k isn't going to do it for you. When that's gone, you're just going to be enraged if God is not your anchor. Ultimately, what they're just saying is God is enough. Trust in God. God is enough. So here we are. We're at the end of chapter 8. And all the people are in distress. And they're all hungry and enraged. Or soon will be. Cursing God. They look to the earth. But they see no hope there on earth. And then Isaiah 9 starts. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. I'm going to pause there. It's funny when you're preparing a sermon, it's like um, you're wondering how many people remember these stories and how many people don't. Because I almost don't want to give away some of the punchlines as I preach. Not a punchline as a joke, but like this is talking about Galilee. It's saying that back in the day, these people were crushed. There's no hope there. But I'm going to do something in Galilee. Right? And for us, we go, Galilee? Hold on, let me flip to that New Testament. Who's out of Galilee? Christ is out of Galilee. And so again, we see like uh, the Isaiah 7, and we see the verses 6 and 7 in chapter 9, we say, these talk about Jesus. But here it is as well. Right here in the very beginning. In the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea. Where does Jesus spend so much of his time? In the Sea of Galilee. There he is. And the people walking in darkness, they have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. 
Who is that light? Jesus is that light. You have enlarged the nation. Increase their joy. They rejoiced before you as people rejoice at the harvest and as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. So he's saying, my people who are in distress, this is what's going to happen in the future. Just in the day of Midian's defeat, what I like about this is who defeated Midian? It was Gideon. Gideon defeated the Midianites. How did he do that? Right? He whittled down all his men because God told him to. I only want 300 men. And his men were so small, yet they still went against that city. And who defeated the Midianites? God did. He confused them so much that they started running, killing each other. Right? Who ultimately was in control of that situation? God. It was the zeal of God that crushed the Midianites, that broke the rod that was on the back of the people. And here it is as well. He's saying, just like in that Midian's defeat, this person has shattered the yoke, the burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. Every warrior's boot that was used in battle and every garment that's rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. There's a day coming when war will be done. And then he says this, for to us, a child is born. <laughs> and you know this passage here. The one taking away this gloom and distress is a child. Now, <clears throat> so what? Many children have been born. This isn't even like the exciting part of the passage yet. Right? For to us a child is born. Many children have been born. Many children have been rulers. Many children have been given. Many children have been pronounced. This is the best child ever. He's going to be the one. He's going to be the one. He's going to be the one. To us, a son is given. So what? Many sons have been given. Many kings, many princes, many authorities. And everybody put their hope in them. Everybody said, yes, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is God. Caesar is the best. He's going to dominate the world and bring peace to everyone. Nope. Failure after failure. King after king. The government will be on his shoulders. Well, this isn't new either. So a child and a son and the government on his shoulders. Not new. But this is what's different. But he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Not just Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Here the difference begins. Not just any child. Not just any son. But a wonderful counselor has the ring of divinity. God is wonderful. He is awe-inspiring. If you look throughout scripture, right? God's thoughts are too wonderful for me. His ways are too wonderful for me. His miracles are wonderful. His mercies, wonderful. His judgments, wonderful. This is what he's talking about. We use the word wonderful lightly. That dinner, that was wonderful. That movie we just watched, that was wonderful. Right? This day is a wonderful day. 
But ultimately, there's an awe that only God deserves. He is the wonderful counselor. He is an awe-inspiring counselor. When he speaks to give you wisdom, what he says is overwhelmingly true. What you need to hear, he says. What you need to understand, he helps you to understand. And he needs no other counselors with him. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God, it goes on to say. Some here may say, right, well, hasn't like Caesar and haven't other people been called God in the past? Is this unique uh, to him? Well, when the prophets spoke to the kings, they did not use kids' gloves. They did not flatter them and they did not butter them up. Right? Often when you hear the prophets speak, you're thinking, mm, I don't know if I would have said that to the king. Right? We're bold here in our land of free speech, but back then there was no free speech. Right? If you spoke ill of the king, someone told the king or someone told the king's men and that was it. You were done. You were an insurrectionist. You were a problem. So to call this person who's coming mighty God is not flattery from Isaiah. It is the truth from Isaiah. Everything else he said is true. This is true as well. Mighty God, unto us a child is born who is mighty God. A son is given who is mighty God. The government will be upon this God's shoulders. So this is mighty God. This is the God with us. This is in Isaiah 7, 14, right? A virgin shall have a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God will be with us, he is foretelling. He will be called as well, everlasting father. If you look through any sort of statistics, you'll see prisons are full of children with no fathers. Abandoned left whether they died or whether they were in prison themselves or whether they just left to go somewhere else and abandoned their children right these are some of the most distressed and troubled and troublesome people are those without their fathers but here we see that this person will be called the everlasting father day in and day out he will be with his people never to leave to always bring hope And also, he's not a father who, when he gets home and when he comes to the house, all he does is bring terror and destruction where you run and you hide because dad's home. But instead, it says this, he's the everlasting father, but he's also the prince of peace. When dad comes home, there's peace in the house. He reorganizes things in a good way where everybody is safe. He reorganizes the world in a way where everyone is safe. There's so much anxiety, especially even more, it seems like that more and more people are afraid of each other when you go out, when you go to the store, when you go to different places. Um, Maybe it's just changed because I'm older, but it seems like more and more of us are just kind of in our own space. Let's not talk to anybody else. Let's leave everybody alone. Um, and less people going out, less people interacting with strangers because in a way we're just afraid. Because there's no father there who's bringing peace and calming uh, the nations and the people. And man, that is like such a good illustration in our family. Right? My kids will go at each other. Like, at each other. Until someone goes, Dad! And what do I do? I go and I bring that peace. 
<laughs> right, but my kids find security in that. If dad was not there and if mom was not there, there would be no peace. My kids would destroy each other. There would be one that survived and all the rest would be dead or maybe they would gang up on one and uh, survive another day until there was another mutiny somewhere, right? But is the father, the peaceful father who comes in, who has all authority, who says, no, we're going to stop. I'm going to, to the best of my ability, take my wise counsel and apply it to the situation that I never saw coming in a million years. How somebody touched somebody's bed, which caused an all-out war. And, uh, yeah, it's all true. But it's not just true in my family. It's true in everybody's family. There was a point where everybody feared for their lives, and it required a greater authority to step in. Dad, my sister's going to kill me. You need to get up here. My brother's going to kill me. You need to get up here, right? Many of you with brothers and sisters know that's true. Had Dad not stepped in, you would be under a lake somewhere. Right? Whatever it is. <laughs> Whatever it is. That is the reality. And that's the reality of this world. If God does not step in, we will destroy ourselves. We absolutely will. When everyone does what is right in their own eyes, when anarchy rules, nobody makes it out alive. We need a father who is present. A father who is almighty, all authority. He's a wonderful counselor. He counsels the people perfectly. He settles their disputes. He brings peace to the people. He sets up rules and boundaries that don't change every second. This is what I love. He's the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Many governments... And many peaceful days have come and gone. But this child was to bring a government and a peace that doesn't end. And it would continue to grow until it overtook the world. He'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. This one spoken of of Isaiah and promised by God the Father is to reign in the line of David on his throne. And this is what I love about that is he will not be partisan. He cannot be bought. And so justice and righteousness will rule. In our world especially, it seems like every single day there's a law that's set and then the new government comes in, tears down that law, puts up another law. Whether it's for or against the laws of God, it changes constantly. Every four years, we get another set of rules, another set of taxes, another set of whatever it is that we need to learn, study, and now apply to our lives. Whether, again, for better or for worse. But with God, it is not like that. His laws will be settled. His rules over the land from this country here all the way around the earth. Right now, people are banging down the doors of America to get in and get out of their country because it's terrible. But in the future, there will be no terrible place to go. 
You'll be taking a trip not to get away from the terrible land you live, but to see something new, to see something different, where the laws are the same. You don't need to get a specific passport to go here or there. You don't need to memorize whether the peace sign is a good sign or a bad sign in that country. It's all good. You go to the Caribbean to have a good time. You go to the Dominican Republic, to Haiti, to whatever it is. Whatever the land is divided in the world when God rules, the government will be the same. The holy laws of God, where peace rules the land. You don't have to be afraid that the government will betray you, that the government will need a bribe, that the government will looking to lock you up. God will rule, the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the one who sits on the throne of David, and his justice and his righteousness will rule from that time on until forever. And the great part is, too, that none of this requires all of your effort to accomplish it. When you think to yourself, what army should I join then in the future? How should I follow this king of kings and this lord of lords? Because look at the next verse. It's the zeal of the Lord Almighty that will accomplish this. What's the point of saying that? The point of saying that is that nobody can stop it. If the zeal of the Lord Almighty is going to accomplish this, then there is no one who can stop it. It will happen. It is guaranteed. And so unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He will be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom and establish and uphold it with righteousness and justice. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. Next week what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at how this is played out in the New Testament then. Not to give away the spoiler, but I'm sure most of you have read it. The son is born. The child is given. He is born of a virgin. He is in the land of Galilee. He is the light that shines bright. And this is 700 years ago. People waited hundreds of years for this to be accomplished in Christ. And I love in Matthew chapter 1, if you look at the verse before, verse 23 and after 23, it says... um, And his name will be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then it quotes from Isaiah and says right here, a virgin will be with child and his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is the fulfillment of that thing. So basically what I want you to take heart in here. Right? When I preach, I don't always have like an application. What I want you to know is this is what God is like. This should shape your outlook on the world. God is in control of all these things. But there are also just natural applications that come from this. Trust God. His word is clear. Do what it says. But most of all, know this. As you fail day in and day out to accomplish all that God has planned for you to a certain extent... 
right? The good that you should do, you don't do. The zeal of the Lord, the zeal of Jesus Christ, has accomplished your salvation. Meaning your hope and your rest today is built upon the work of Christ. The zeal of the Lord is what should give you peace. Not your zeal for Christ. Your zeal for Christ cannot give you peace. Because it cannot match up to the holiness of God. The thrice holy God. The almighty God. The wonderful counselor. You are not him. And so your peace today and your hope today comes from the zeal of God who accomplishes every good thing in your life. And who has sent his son Jesus Christ, whose zeal has overcome death, whose zeal has overcome your sin. And so today you put your hope and your trust in what Christ has done for you in sending his son to die on the cross for sinners. There is your rest. There is your peace. There is your hope in Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. So next week we'll look at the New Testament story of Christ coming to earth to fulfill these things. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your rest. We thank you for uh, 700 years before your birth, the prophet Isaiah telling the people of Judah and the people of Israel that they would send a son into this world and his zeal would accomplish all of these things. God, I pray that we would trust in you, that we would rest in your forgiveness, we would rest in your mercy, that as the world seems to walk in darkness, that we would rest in the light of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your hymn books to 122. Who is he in yonder stall? We're going to sing this. First and second verse, then the chorus. Third, fourth verse, then the chorus. Fifth and sixth verse, and then the chorus. So it makes it a little easier to sing that way, and uh, but reflects on exactly the things you heard. Who is he? He's the King of Glory. Let's stand and sing together. <clears throat> Who is he in yonder stall? At whose feet the shepherds fall? Who is he that stands and weeps at the grave where Lazarus sleeps? Tis the Lord, a wondrous story. Tis the Lord, the King of glory. At his feet we humbly fall. Crown him, crown him, Lord of all. Lo, at midnight, who is he? Praise in dark Gethsemane. Who is he in Calvary's throes? Ask the blessing of his foes. Tis the Lord, the King of story. Tis the Lord, the King of glory. At his feet we humbly fall. Crown him, crown him, Lord of all. Who is he that from the grave 
comes to heal and help and save? Who is he that from yon throne rules the world of light alone? Tis the Lord, a wondrous story. Tis the Lord, the King of glory. At his feet we humbly fall. Crown him, crown him, Lord of all. Gracious Father, we're so thankful for your word. Thankful for how it redirects us to look at life from your perspective the great almighty God, the wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace, to know that joy of walking with you and being at peace because you are in control of this world. You're in control of my life. Help us, Lord, as we go today to apply that to our hearts and lives, to look forward to the rest of the story, but to be very aware that you are alive and well and working in our behalf. We praise you so much for this time to worship. Send us off rejoicing in the fact that you came and will be coming again. In Christ's name, amen.